That's the theme song. I I'm forgot. Register. Oh. Counting machine. Because we're making freaking money. Warren Sharp in studio, which means it's even going to immensely better. We got to hang out last night, got a little bit of meals. You ate some things that you haven't eaten maybe in months or years, but we're not going to tell anybody at home. So delicious. Yep. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, the discipline that this man has is crazy. And that's why I like spending time with him, because his focus on this stuff is crazy. We have all of the uh, the Twitter open just in case there's any practice reports. Uh, I got tons of notes about injuries and all that. I know you're paying attention right now. For example, doesn't look like Cam Newton's going to play. That's the, that's the news wow. that's coming out as we record this Thursday early afternoon. Um, but that is the theme of the week. New quarterbacks that are throwing a wrench in, in all of the models and systems that I'm sure that you've been building. It's, we, we got like seven new guys this week now, six new guys. Yeah, it's, it's super frustrating because I, more than anything, I'm a fan of this sport. Yes. I want to see good football. I try to, obviously I work with some teams, right? But I also try to just publicly share information that I think is going to help these teams utilize so that the product that we're watching yes. on Sundays is as efficient as it can possibly be. Would you also say that better players equals more uh, tr trends and analytics that are more reliable. I find these guys, the, the quarterbacks that are coming in, the, the Rudolphs, the Allens, the, the Falks, they're, they're, they're wild cards. And right. so it kind of ruins these games in a way. Yeah, they're more erratic, they're less reliable or less consistent, right? Higher highs, lower lows sometimes. Mm. Some of these guys, and by that I mean it's rel relative higher highs, right? I'm not saying that they're going to have like higher highs than Patrick Mahomes, right. say, but like for them, they're going to have some great games because the coach prepared them really well for that spot, and then they're going to have some games where they just struggle and look like rookies or first-year starters, what sure. have you. So um, it's, it's, it also muddies the overall trends. One of the things that I like to look back at is what are the trends for the league? What's the league trending towards? Mm. And what we end up seeing when something like this happens is we may see a little bit more early down rushing than I would prefer to see. And the league was trending away from that over the first couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, what were the percentages? I mean, it w I don't know offhand what the exact percentage was, but they had increased the passing rate on early downs. And I was like, yes, I sent out a tweet about it. Like, yes, we're getting somewhere, right? We're right. actually passing the football a little bit more. We're utilizing more 12 personnel. Mm. You know, different trends like that where then you lose some of these key players, uh, and especially from the quarterback position, coaches are more likely to get more conservative with Let's their play calls. Let's protect this young play caller. Right. We're going to run on first. We're going to run on second. Hopefully we get him like a third and five, and, and then we'll throw a screen. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but the pro and the problem with that is they think that they're helping these guys, but they're actually hurting them. Mm -hmm. They're setting them up for failure when you get too conservative with your play calls on early downs. So when the I'm easiest watching— way to yeah. The easiest way is to pass the ball on first down. Why? Because that's when the defense has no clue what's coming. They're typically going to be more so in base. They're going to be looking to stop the run, especially mm -hmm. with a first-time starting quarterback in there. And and that's a great look to pass out of. You, you said this in your book now for years. If you get base on defense on first down, we're not running it right in the gut because that's where the defense is most prepared. And we're also not throwing it on the outside because the percentages aren't good. When they're in base, 
which is your typical, if you're in a 4-3, three, three linebackers. We're not going nickel. We're not going to other We can focus on running backs and tight ends with prime matchups in the middle of the field. Right. So when I'm watching Mason Rudolph, I should be seeing him throwing to James Conner against San Francisco on Sunday. When I'm watching Luke Falk, we need to be focusing on Le'Veon Bell if we're going to survive this game against the Patriots. If I'm seeing Kyle Allen... We know they're giving the ball to Christian McCaffrey. That That's the one team I don't have to worry about going early downs. Christian McCaffrey's played 100% of snaps this year. That's wild, Warren. Yeah, they, they wanted to scale him back a little bit, I think, <laughs> but that's not, not going to be happening, right? And you, you want to mix up some of the running back passes. You don't want to get – the worst thing to do as an offense is get too predictable. Mm. So you want to vary things. You want to incorporate the tight ends in there. You want to be a little bit more creative. But what you can't do is be conservative. And unfortunately, that's what I think a lot of these coordinators do. They say, well, we don't want to load this guy up too much. We don't want to give him too much to process. Yes. We don't want to give him too many reads and there's ways like for instance why do you think Kyle Shanahan why do you think his quarterbacks last year even with Jimmy Garoppolo going out he had to cycle through a couple different quarterbacks and they still had great efficiency passing the football. Why is that? Because he knows the way to design concepts and routes that are going to be successful. Mm. More coaches who's got quarterbacks that have been injured and out need to look to like study study some of what Kyle Shanahan was doing last year, implement those things. I think more teams, I know we're getting like all over the place. No, this is good. More teams need to steal concepts from other teams or from college. I don't care who owns it. Like ownership's irrelevant. Utilize things to make your team better. The best play callers are the best thieves. And they'll admit it. Sean Payton admits it. Kyle Shanahan admits it. Sean McVay admits it very willingly. I mean, the Patriots, it's well-documented. If Michigan, the Patriots did it against the Ravens in the playoffs where they watched Alabama put an eligible tackle at the tackle spot and then catch a ball across the middle. And the next day, the Patriots used it. You have to be a good thief to get back to what you were saying, to use the information. Mason Rudolph, Teddy Bridgewater, Kyle Allen, Daniel Jones, Luke Falk. If I know that we are going to be getting possible conservative play scripts that often lead to negative results. How much of a benefit is there for me to bet against these rookie teams? Like how do or these rookie quarterbacks? How do I weigh that, knowing that they're going to call? They're going to be typically more conservative. Okay, so with with Kyle Allen and Mason Rudolph, I would expect those teams to be to err all and and Luke Falk to err a little bit more on the side of caution, right? right. With th- those guys, Teddy Bridgewater is an interesting one, and we're going to talk about him. Let's later. talk about it right now. Well, because we also have another quarterback on that roster right. who's probably going to be utilized more than other people think. I said this to you before the show, and you were saying this to me last night, that Sean Payton is one of those guys that he's not going down without shocking you in as many ways possible. And maybe hinting at that by saying, we might split with Taysom Hill. And then I'm on the train this morning and I'm going, Sean Payton losing Drew Brees in a weird way. I know Sean Payton. It's probably a sick challenge in his head where he wants to go, you want to see how good I am as a play caller? Wait until you see this flea flicker in the first quarter. Wait until you see this Taysom Hill screen back to Kamara. Like, that's what he does. And so I could, Sean Payton's never going to get conservative. And Taysom Hill's going to be interesting. Look, what what is one of the knocks if you have Drew Brees as your quarterback and you're a guy like Sean Payton who's come up with all these things? You don't want to do 
you don't want too many other people throwing the ball because you've got freaking Drew Brees. Yeah. But now you don't have Drew Brees. Sean Payton hasn't, you know, all of his creativity can seep into this offense. Yeah. Unadulterated mayhem offensively to confuse that Seahawks defense. And you know and, Drew, Drew was in the meetings, too. Going, I mean, he's a, he's a coach at this point, too. So I do have confidence in that offense. And, and look— Teddy Bridgewater, this is a big game for him when he is passing because he looked like a total deer in headlights when he mm-hmm. got out onto the field. And when he had a really good defense in Minnesota, there were some things that I actually thought were pretty good with what he was doing. But, you know, um, this is a big game for him to look well prepared. You didn't mention Daniel Jones. Is this because you believe Shermer's been wanting this guy to be the guy the entire time? And Shermer's almost like, if I can make this work with Daniel Jones, I might extend my life here in New York by a year or two. So let's get a little wild. Yeah. Daniel Jones is the one that you're right. I, I, I glossed over yeah. when mentioning the other four because I think they're going to have some really nice things designed up for Daniel Jones. Do you remember when Daniel Jones played the first preseason game? Eli got the first drive. Yes, sir. Daniel Jones comes in. The plays were all so well thought out with Pat Shermer. It was boom, boom, boom. I think five crossing route and then a nice little rollout and hit that guy in the back right corner of the end zone. But it was it flowed. It was like five plays that flowed together. Exactly. Well-designed, well-scripted, easy for Daniel Jones to read and execute and a touchdown. And then boom, he was gone. I think they're really going to be working on this game plan to make life easy on Daniel Jones. How much can we buy and how much can you look at the trends of his preseason performances? Does that matter at all, or is that just to get us excited and, and realize it's a different season? Yeah, I, in terms of like his pure statistics, I don't look quite as much at that as what do you look like in the pocket. It's like, it's like the visual, uh, your eye test. Mm. Does this guy look like he can be an NFL quarterback? And to me, he did. To me, he looked like he was confident enough in the pocket. Now, that's not against the defense that's game planning for you. That's not, you know, a, a, a right. super tough opponent that is starting to try no, to figure out your weaknesses. The whole time. Right. So it's going to be a different scenario in this game. But I absolutely, you know, think that he, he should be able to handle it. And the Bucks, I mean, I think, I think it could be a good spot. We were talking about that a little bit last night. Yeah, just about the fact that they have Shaquille Barrett, who's a pretty good pass rusher. But other than that... Um, they haven't really gotten after the quarterback too much. I mean, Cam Newton was under a lot of pressure. And and I, I think I'm just kind of confused what's going on with Carolina at all right now. So it's kind of hard, and especially on a short week with all that. And then also, don't forget, they had like a 45-minute lightning delay. And people are glossing over the fact that Carolina was looking really good before that. And then all of a sudden, it kind of ended. I think there was a fourth down play that kind of stopped the momentum. And that's something you have to factor in. I, I think about, uh, it might have been two years ago, there was a Tampa Bay Rams game that had like a three-hour, or it may have been a, a Dolphins-Titans game last year, where there was like a three-hour lightning game a delay. And everyone's trying to use that game, and I'm like, this I can't even use this game for anything. This is such a special circumstance. It doesn't matter. That Luke, that that game, the Carolina game that yeah. you were just talking about against the Bucks you on know, Thursday night last week. On Thursday night last week, I am just this very firm believer 
in a concept that I noticed with Cam Newton, and that is that he's a front runner yes. in my view. And by that, I mean, he if things start going well in games, it snowballs in a good way for him. And he gets more confidence. I've heard this from players. I talked to Gerald McCoy about this, and he said that the hardest thing about Cam is when he starts rolling, he is talking more than anybody in the stadium. That's when you see him get up and do this yeah. every time he goes back to the line of scrimmage, and he goes, Cam gets better when he's talking shit. So players on the field are confirming what you're seeing statistically. Yeah, I mean, and, and so what I think happened in that game Right before the lightning delay, they didn't have good camera angles because for some reason, I have no idea what the NFL is doing here. <laughs> How you say it's not safe for our cameramen to be there, but it is safe for the fans to watch in the stands and the players to play on the field. Right. But like our cameramen can't be in harm's so way fun. here. But in either case, they were playing the game and it was the fourth and one. He rolls out to the right, gets his knees knocked out from underneath Which of him. Stretches. Stretches. It could have been a first down. I mean, the the, the, the the team thinks that he got jobbed on that one. Right. They got jobbed on a few calls the Carolina Panthers have, let's be, let's be honest. Yeah. But at any rate, doesn't get it. Boom, lightning delay. Sit in for 30 minutes in the locker room thinking Stewing about how you got your knees knocked out from under you and you didn't get the first down. And that's exactly what, you know, Cam Newton, what, how it hurts him when, he, when he's not rolling, when he's not feeling yeah. that confidence, and then he has to think about it for a while. I think it messed him up the rest of the game. And that sounds so uh, subjective and not analytical, but that is something that I'm a firm believer of. When you knock Cam around early in that game, he doesn't get rolling. You got a really good shot. It's a little shot. bit like what you see with Bill O'Brien if he's got a uh, if he's losing at halftime. It's it's shown that they're not coming back. That's not who he is. Uh, the fact that all six of these quarterbacks are playing on the road, what does that say to you? Um, even higher likelihood that the coaches are going to go in with a conservative viewpoint, mm. like let's not lose this game, with the exception with the exception of Sean Payton, because I think we'll talk about that game later, but. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that game. So I want to take some of the things we talked about in week two. And, and the only way that we're going to improve the 33%, myself, everybody out there, is we need to look at what we said and learn from it. thing that kills me about a lot of betting shows and a lot of betting sites is they put out their winners and then they never go back and talk about it. The amount, like if you go to Odd Shark, you can't pull up what their predictions were in week two. And that, I don't, I don't go there. I used to go there all the time, and I go, well, let me see how they've been doing picking the bucks, and then I can't go back. And because it's not good for business to go over your losses. But here's the deal: we're not running a fucking business. We're trying to help people, and so I want to look at the things we talked about last week and learn from them. It's the only way we're going to get fucking better at this. So the one thing we talked about a lot last week was your personnel groupings, Baltimore, Arizona. What we talked about was that Baltimore showed against Miami when they went three or more wide receivers, they were susceptible. Was Arizona able to take advantage of that when you went back and looked at the statistics? Yeah, they were. Um, Arizona from 11 personnel. Okay, that's three wide receivers spreading out that defense, taking advantage of them. 
uh, 64% success rate, 12.8 yards per attempt. Wow. And a 115 passer rating against the Baltimore Ravens defense. Wow. And this is one of the reasons why we were talking about that we think the Cardinals offense may look a little bit better than people think. They may be able to be productive here. Mm. Now, we were using that for like a couple of elements, right? The first one was the total. And the second one was the Cardinals plus the 13. Right. And so uh, for that reason, we were thinking like both of those recommendations could be in our benefit. Um, and, you know, they, the Cardinals averaged uh, only from 12 personnel, only a 25% success rate in seven yards wow. per attempt. Now they don't Which is use what the Baltimore 12. Ravens cover perfectly. Exactly. They're really good. Take the wide receivers off the field, you throw to your tight end, you're running back. Yeah. We've got speed up in the front. We can deal with that. You know, they're down sure. in the secondary, shorthanded. Jimmy Smith out. Yeah. Right. So we thought that there was going to be some edges there. And sure enough, what the Arizona Cardinals had four or five drives to the red zone. Oh, Pick one shit. conversion. One one touchdown. So I know they kicked three field goals inside the five. And 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 that was like obviously surprising from a Cliff Kingsbury coach because you think he's going to be, if anything, more aggressive, right? You would think that he would be the type of coach who's like, I don't give a crap about this. Like, let me let me go for the touchdown because even those first two drives, they get down there inside the five, kick two field goals. Had they scored just one touchdown, go for it once on, once on fourth down. You convert one of them, you'll wind up with more points than you would if you oh, just settle for the Oh, if one of those goals. became a touchdown, we're hitting our over. If the Ravens don't kneel inside the five, we're hitting our over. You know what I just realized as you were saying that? I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is aggressive. I think Cliff Kingsbury is aggressive in terms of the formations he uses. But think about what we see now the last two weeks. Non-aggressive play calling inside the five, which has led to field goals, not going for it on fourth down. What do we see in week one? Him punting the ball with one minute left in overtime and settling for a tie. In my mind, I'm starting to, I'm not saying it yet, but I'm starting to notice Cliff is aggressive in his scheme, but I don't think he's aggressive in his situational play calling. This isn't Doug Peterson here. We assume that all young people are aggressive because young people are aggressive with how they invest. They take to invest in stocks. They don't invest in mutual funds. We, we, but he's not. Am I crazy? Am I going too far? No, look, I mean, and the part about it is that they kick those three field goals. They put up nine points. Then they have to go for the touchdown late in the game. They score it. And then they go for uh, the two-point conversion because they're forced to to get to 17 right. points to get you know within the, the the score margin, and they end up making that uh, that conversion. So he's got plays that would work there. Right. He's got. Pl it's not like oh well, we think we suck down here, so mm. we're not gonna we're just gonna be conservative. Now he's got plays that could work, but you're right from a decision-making perspective and an understanding of the analytics and what is the risk reward of making a more aggressive play call here. I don't think he's got the right analytics in his corner to help him uh, make educated decisions. And then the other thing that we saw in that game, and I, I just want to do this briefly, was Baltimore's heavy sets should work wonders against Arizona, and I'm sure that was the case too. Yeah, Baltimore had a lot of success with that. Now, what was interesting is, you know, Arizona did a surprising good job taking away some of those shot plays, right? They didn't have as much success down the field as they did. They had the 30-plus yard Mark Andrews touchdown. They had the Hollywood Brown pass to seal it. To seal but, it over yes. the top, right. And that it was, was a like lot a of dime. Lamar Jackson running. It was, a lot more, it was a lot more Lamar Jackson running. because, it, And they weren't necessarily designed runs either. It was decent coverage, so he took off and ran the ball so it's hey, you know be what props to arizona the fact that you can say decent coverage 
with Robert Alford and Patrick Peterson not on the field, I, it was, I'll give it a little credit to Vance Joseph because I was ready to kill him after week one. No, it was, I, I, I 100% concur that they were so sloppy that week. They did better than I anticipated from that perspective. The frustration about this game, of course, I bet the over. We talked about yes. it on the show, um, and the line moved all the way up to 47, and we took over 43. Um, the frustration, of course, is the red zone ineptitude. Yes. There's eight combined trips into the red zone, only two touchdowns. These are the types of games that were exactly what you said. You have to sit back and dig through mm. the box score, the film to understand, was I com- completely wrong right. with my bet on this game, with my anticipation of what was going to happen, or was I accurate and the ball just bounced a ridiculous way too often such that it didn't come through? And in this case, this was a dead nut over game. There's no two ways about it. When right. you're eight uh, trips down into the red zone and you're only scoring two touchdowns. That's the only way this game did not go over the total. Is red zone success and ineptitude something that can be transferred from week to week and used with confidence? Um, you mean like is if a team struggles or they're like going to struggle in start, the future? Yeah, yeah, like is that something that, that tends to continue? Um I think there's always going to be a little bit of regression. It is more difficult when you're an offensive play caller calling plays down in that limited of area of the field because especially defense, when you're used to stretching out with four wide receivers. Right. The defense doesn't have to cover as much depth wise. So everything's more compressed and it is a little bit easier on the defenses. However, it should be it should allow enough creativity for an offense to utilize the width of the field and try to create openings and seams. Um, and we just didn't, we just didn't get lucky enough in that game. It was, we were very unlucky. Uh, you also had a thing last week about Cleveland's obsession with 11 personnel and Freddie kitchens last year unleashed Baker Mayfield by going heavy sets, protecting him a little bit more and taking advantage Monday night in Joku concussion. We now learn breaks his wrist. Does this mean we're going to get a lot, lot, and Rashard Higgins is back? What did you see on Monday night? And does this mean that Cleveland's going to be sitting in 11 for like the next four to five weeks with Njoku on the bench? Because they're not really trying to bring out Ricky Seals-Jones too much. I think, unfortunately, we are going to see uh, too much of 11. And one of so the this is int- something we could take advantage of. Yeah, the, the this is the thing. And this is why, I don't think we dug into it quite as much, um, why Freddie Kitchens went more to 12 last season. One of the reasons why he went more to 12 when he took over is because of the protection, protection it afforded Baker Mayfield in the pocket when he's throwing the ball. So far this season, Baker Mayfield has a 40 passer rating when he's under pressure. And what happened? Oh, no, no, no. Say that one more time. Baker Mayfield this season, when he's under pressure, including Monday night's game, so the first two weeks, a 40 passer rating, a passer rating of 40 wow. when he's under pressure, which is obviously terrible. It's one of the worst in the NFL. Yeah. So you're going to get, when you have a worse offensive line, which they do, they lost players this off season. We knew going into the season, they were going to have a worse offensive line and you don't utilize a little bit more 12 to get those tight ends out on the field to at least give the threat yes. that you can block the front and or to at least make that D end work a little bit harder to get around the outside. And this is one of the, I'll finish the point, then I'll transition into something else. 
this is this is a problem because without those tight ends out there, I think the pass rush is coming. It's affecting Baker Mayfield. And in some cases, it affects the quarterback before the snap. He knows what type mm. of protection. He knows that I've got five linemen. I see this defense here. Before the ball's even snapped, he starts worrying about where, where's the leak going to come through. Mm. And, and so, guess who's coming to town? Aaron frickin' Donald. So it's a, it's, and, and, and Dante Fowler is playing like he's a third pick in the draft. He, he looks like a different guy. And so you're telling me Aaron Donald's coming to town and Baker has a 40% as a 40 QB rating. On a, okay. Yeah, and th- th- this, this is this next point that I was going to make. We saw the L.A. Rams struggle with this very same thing in the Super Bowl. In that Super Bowl, the New England Patriots, remember how often they were getting to Jared Goff yes. and hitting him early in the game, and that offense looked out of sync, and they couldn't do anything because they kept sending pressure. When L.A., even though they did not love their two tight ends, right, they did not love their tight ends, so that's why they were hesitant to use right. them. But when they stuck them on the field, even though they're not great in pass pro, that's when they had their most success in the Super Bowl of passing. You know, one of the guys will get bowled over by the D end on the way to the quarterback. But guess what? It still takes an extra second or two for that to occur. So it provides the quarterback a little bit extra time mm. if that guy, if that tight end wasn't on the end of the line. it makes him take two more steps. Two more steps, have to physically exert himself, have to like step over the guy that he knocked over. And the quarterback then has that extra second he needs for the receiver to separate better and complete that ball. And Jared Goff had a lot of success. So even though you don't like your two tight ends, yes, sometimes having that extra body out there will help your wide receivers. Uh, that to me is some of the most valuable shit you've said. Uh, Minnesota Green Bay. This was a, a, a personnel trend you noticed from last year. This is what the game was in week two, and I want to see if it continued because everyone's talking right now about how the Packers' defense is completely different, and I kind of agree. With what they've been able to bring in with Amos and the two Mr. and Mr. Smith at the edges, what we've seen out of Green Bay's defense thus far has been the success we were hoping for with LaFleur and the Rodgers' offense. Patton right now is throwing himself into the head coaching mix by how good of a job he's doing on D.C., but your issue was Green Bay was the worst defense in the NFL last year with Mike Benton against two wide receiver sets, heavy formations. Was Minnesota able to use that at all? I know they had the one deep touchdown to Stephon Diggs. I believe that was with two wide receivers on the field. Correct. But, but it was. What else happened? With, did it have same issues? So Green Bay across the board is a better defense yes. than they were last year. They were also better equipped to handle the two tight end sets. And from when uh, they were in 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers, Minnesota got 9.5 yards attempt, which is which is a nice number, yeah. which is a nice number, but only a 42 percent success rate. So a couple of big strikes, yes. but not quite as consistently successful. But against 11 personnel, Green Bay def- defending 11 personnel. Yeah. 22% success rate. Wow. So they still were much worse defending those two tight end sets, but they were better than they were last year against it. And they were very good, just like they were last year at defending three wide receivers. My sets. big question for you is this. If you see that Green Bay does not have success against 21 or 12, meaning two wide receiver sets, when I'm betting the game, how do I know that the other team is going to take advantage of that. Is it by the amount that they use that personnel? Like, how do I know that we see a hole right now? How do I know this other team is going to take advantage of it? Yeah, that's the thing. We can't, There's a, a fallacy 
amongst everybody who watches games. And I'm not trying to suggest that I'm smarter than anybody else, but there's a fallacy of rational coaching. Rational coaching is not always prevalent in the NFL, any sport. I mean, it's difficult. These coaches focus on so many different things. Their job is tough. They're not always optimizing everything offensively. Mm. We assume that they're going to take advantage of all the holes, but that's not always the case. And what happens is we watch the games play out on Sunday and we blame the players, right? Oh, man, what an interception. What the hell is this guy doing? Oh, this guy dropped a touchdown, right? The Eagles down the sideline. Oh, Snagler. Aguilar, why the hell did you drop that? That would have won the game. It's Aguilar. You know, all these different things that we look at, we pinpoint on the different players. The reality is sometimes the coaches don't have a very good game plan in this game. So what I look at first and foremost when it comes to those personnel groupings is I'm looking at that frequency. What is the historic trend of this offense? Because I know that typically speaking, they're going to continue to do that. So when a team utilizes a lot of 11 personnel, I assume that they're probably going to continue doing that. If a team, so I can't assume, for instance, that the Cleveland Browns are going to all of a sudden switch and go to 12 personnel, even though they used it last year, because this year they got Odell Beckham and this seems to be their strategy. Now, maybe at some point they'll smarten up and switch. But until I actually see that, I'm not not just going to go, oh, well, yeah, look at this defense against 12. They're terrible. So I think Freddie Kitchens is going to use a ton of 12 here Mm. because I haven't seen him do that yet. So I can't assume it's going to happen. So let me ask you, I am putting on your spot. I know you have to look up something really quick. Denver. Are they an offense that uses two wide receiver sets? Are they someone that wants to load out with Noah Fant and, and maybe Lindsey and Royce Freeman in the back? Is there Are they a team that plays that kind of way? Um, the Denver Broncos actually utilize a lot of 11 personnel. They're at 78% 11 personnel when they pass so the So this football. is a great example of the Packers are great against 11, and the Broncos are playing almost 80% 11 with Joe Flacco, and while Emmanuel Sanders is a, is a medical marvel, the fact that he's able to perform, I am not afraid of him beating Jair Alexander anywhere on the field. Like, not even a, bla- like a chance. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, wow, how the hell are the Broncos going to score against the Packers? I think well, that's fair. And plus which, when they do use 12 personnel to pass the ball, right, which is Green Bay's better against 12 than last year, but it's still their weak point. Denver has 5.5 yards per attempt. Which is very low. Which is very low. They don't throw out of it much, right? We talked about 87%, um, uh, 78% rather, 11 personnel. So they don't throw out of 12 much. But when they do so far this year, not so good. The thing is, is is, that number is what, eight and a half? Something like that for Green Bay? Seven and a half, I'm seeing. Man, it's just... Vegas is really good at knowing to, to throw a number at you that scares you. It's always the half point that gets me worried. Um, is there anything else? I just want to ask a blanket statement from week three personnel groupings that, that sticks out to you. Is there anything that uh, kind of excited you as you were going through the team matchups? Yeah, yeah, there was um, two things that relate to uh, the future of, of some of the things that we're going to talk about sure. down the road. So I won't dive hardcore into this one, this this first one, which is Kansas City's usage of eleven personnel. Let's talk about that we'll when we talk about the, the Ravens yep. game. Okay? When we do the three big games. When we do the three big games. But I will talk about this Carolina Arizona game. Okay. That's about to happen. Yeah, because we weren't going to talk about it. We weren't going to talk about that. But from the personnel groupings so far, with two weeks of data, some interesting trends here. Um, Arizona's defense uh, has been really good against three wide receiver sets. Okay, 
they have allowed, and this is Detroit played them, yep. and Baltimore played them. With both okay. of them like to do this. Both of them like to. Both of those teams are very. We'll use twelve. We'll use twenty-one. Yeah. We'll use some eleven. Okay, and there was a stark contrast to what Arizona could do defending eleven versus twelve. Arizona against three wide receivers. 36% success rate, only 5.9 yards per attempt, and very importantly, five sacks in 74 dropbacks. Wow. Okay? But when you use multiple tight ends, multiple running backs, you take a receiver off the field, you only use two wide receivers or fewer. Yeah. When you pass the ball against Arizona's defense, 68% success rate, so up from 36%. 11.5 yards per attempt, over double the 5.9, wow. and importantly, zero sacks. Wow. Now, what does Carolina do well? Yeah, what do they do? They don't do well throwing the ball with three wide receivers out on the field. They only have a 40% success rate so far this year, only 4.9 yards per attempt, and they themselves have taken five sacks. But when they take that extra wide receiver off, put on an extra running back or tight end, typically it's a tight end for them. Right. 52% success rate, 11.4 yards per attempt, a 105 rating, and only one sack. So are you, in his Carolina, what is their percentage of going 12 or 21 versus 11? Carolina is um, a little bit more balanced, but so far this season, last year they, they were even more balanced, but so far this season, they've gotten 78%, just like we mentioned uh, with Denver, yeah. 78% 11 personnel when they pass the Ugh. football. They are going to need, especially with a yeah. court, backup quarterback out there, it is imperative that the Carolina Panthers use less three wide receiver sets, Man. use more 12 personnel. I wish there was a way that, like, we could watch the teams warm up in, in pregame and be like, look at all the 12 and 21 they're lining up in. Like, it, it's like when you go to a horse race and you look at the horses. I just want a chance to see the offense really quick because if Carolina, if I know that Carolina is going to run a, a ton of 12 and 21, it feels like a great bet. But it's, I, I can't, how do I know, Warren? How do I know? Right. And the issue is twofold. Number one, do the coaches know this? Mm. And then number two, will they modify anything, even if they did know it? Right. So that's what you have to factor in. Um, and, and that's why trying to predict these games, we, we could say, we, we obviously, at the end of the day, are placing wagers, trying to help the 33% yeah. place wagers. Um at the end of the day, we're fortune tellers. We're trying to prognosticate the future. Yeah. And with something where there's 53 men, you have no idea who's going to get injured. You have a whole staff of coaches and you don't know exactly what they're going to do. And you got a football that's not a round ball, <laughs> right? Lots of different things can happen in a game. Yeah. And that's why you got to study all these things because the outcome, just because the final score happens a certain way, does not necessarily mean the game played out that way and that's the team that should have won the game. Mm. So it's hard predicting this type of stuff. And one of the hardest things I have found, because I'm, I'm really good, I dig through so many numbers, I could figure out what I think the edges are here. The trick is, are the, is the coaching staff actually going to make you're, changes, modifications? You're still, to you're still betting on human decisions. Yes. And that's even harder to predict than the bounce of a ball. All right, so line movements. Uh, I went through and looked. In week two, lines that changed by more than a point and a half compared to the look-ahead lines went three and five against the spread for the team that it went to. But two of those games were the Browns, 
where they went, the Jets lost two quarterbacks and the Patriots and the Dolphins. So in my mind, it's like one in five in like real games where when the Houston went from a three-point favorite of Jacksonville to a nine, didn't cover. Cincinnati went from an underdog to a favorite, didn't cover. Baltimore, uh, like nine to 13, didn't cover. Chicago, pick them at two and a half, didn't cover. Philly swung there. So... That was because this is the first time that I've really looked at it. So when the points went to the team, which we've talked about is an overreaction from what we saw on Sunday in almost all of these situations, it was too much other than a two quarterbacks going down. The only one that covered was Buffalo. And that was the only other one that actually covered, and we were all over that. Just be, and you were definitely all over that. I know you gave that one out on SharpFootballAnalysis.com um, as as the money line there because you saw in week one you throw four intercept, you have four turnovers, and you still win. And now you're playing in the same stadium against Eli. Let's fucking go. But is that accurate? Is that something that I can kind of look at going forward? That's that's why we're looking at the look headlines. Yeah, and I'm glad you're tracking it, and we should continue to do so because yeah. that's the whole point of us breaking down those look headlines is what is the overreaction? And typically, a lot of times, it's the bookmaker reacting a little bit, um, and then it's the betting public right. continuing to pile on to that overreaction. So I have uh, three kind of... Uh sections again that I'm going to do. First one is a wow, which is the look ahead line for Miami Dallas was Dallas minus nine. And now it's Dallas minus 21 and a half. Is this the first time in history we have two 20 point lines in the same week? I think it's, uh, it hasn't happened since like 30 years. And last week, again, I did not bet Miami last week. Thank God. I took it off Friday night. I was texting with crack and I said, Nope, can't do it. Um, Patriots were the first team to ever be favored by 16 and a half points on the road, win and cover. So we did witness history last week. But with two lines over 20, how, how should the 33% approach these games? Um, cautiously. You know, it, you, what you have to do is figure out motivation for the teams that are the underdogs. Um, that game, the Patriots game against the Dolphins, a lot of people were probably surprised at how close that game was in the first quarter. 13-nothing, 16-nothing at halftime, half. something like that. Yeah, and then, of course, you get the multiple defensive touchdowns. And what did we talk about? What did I write about in my book? What did we talk about this offseason? That I actually thought that this year the Patriots offense might be carried more so by that defense. Mm. Because I didn't know Josh Gordon was there, and I didn't know Antonio Brown was going to be there. And we knew Gronk was missing, and we knew the wide receivers that they had were in and out of the lineup in the offseason with injuries and ailments right. and things like that. Right. And, but I had very high confidence in that Patriots defense. They came to town, scored some, a couple of times in that yeah. game themselves. So, you know, that's a factor when you're playing the Miami Dolphins. Now, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys defense is quite as good as the New England Patriots. Right. So we may not have those defensive scores. Uh, on the other, the other game, you know, the New England, uh, sorry, the, the New York Jets game, Patriots against Jets. the Patriots. Uh, I think Luke Falk is a good thing. You don't have as much tape on him. He's a little bit more of a wild card. Mm. Um, I think that that Jets defense is still proud. This is a rival. You know, I would expect them to uh, play really tough, but there's question marks. I think that if I don't necessarily love, I think in the super contest, you're like 22 and a half. Yes. Right? If you had 23, 23 and a half, I might be a little bit more, 
especially if, if, you, if you got up to 24, like a little bit more inclined to test that. I'm not saying you're wrong if right. you choose to utilize that game, but um, it wouldn't take that many more points for me to start looking at the Jets yeah, this week. But the Dolphins, I don't really have a lot of interest. I, I can't do anything with the Dolphins. Great note here from Ingber, who kind of went through all the matchups. Uh, the total has gone under in five of the last uh, five of the last five Patriots Jets games. So when I hear an under and then I hear a line of 23 and a half, like, or, or excuse me, 21 and a half or whatever it is with the, uh, it is, what is that line officially in, in the super contest? 22 and a half. 20, yeah, you got 22. You're going and under and you have to win by 23 points. That sounds kind of crazy to me. It, it does. And that's why, you know, when you talk about correlation and things of that nature, you got a really low total and you got a really high spread on the dog. I mean that's that's indicating like if you can if you can score, you know, 13 yeah, 14 16 points maybe, like you got a real good chance of covering this game. Um now there are I have four games here that crossed a key number. Key, key numbers of course everybody is 3 7 if it goes across 0 is crazy. Um which of the, you you tell me which of these actually interests you the most. Uh Indy went from a 4 point favorite in the look ahead to a 1 and a half point favorite hosting Atlanta. So Atlanta I guess wins the game against the Eagles. Indy pulls one out. The line has gone from Colts favored by four to now one and a half. So across the three. Oakland is going to Minnesota. Minnesota was a seven point favorite. They're now an eight and a half point favorite. I don't know if that's crossing a number, but it just yeah. it went from seven to eight and a half. Uh, Minnesota, I guess, survived. But I guess that's more Oakland gets their ass kicked by the Chiefs and people are starting to lose confidence. And we do have injuries to Josh Jacobs and um Trent Brown missed a little bit of that game, too. Philly goes from an eight-point favorite hosting the Lions to now a six-point favorite, so it crossed the seven, and we have a ton of injury with the Philadelphia Eagles all over the place, so much so that they canceled practice on Wednesday and just held a walkthrough. And the other one is Monday night, Chicago goes from a two-and-a-half-point favorite to a four-point favorite against Washington, uh, so that did cross the three. Of those four, any of those line movements catch your eye the most? Well, Two that I know are like syndicate money, uh, the Atlanta Falcons playing the Colts and uh, the Detroit Lions playing the Eagles. Syndicate money. That's that's uh, betting groups have moved on those games, pushed the numbers to where they currently sit, uh, you know, very sharp betting groups. So there's been betting groups that have loaded up early on Atlanta and Detroit. And yep. they're seeing weakness in Indy coming off two road games at home for the first time, their home opener, and Philadelphia with all the injuries, Sunday night game, and, and Detroit coming off. And so when you see another syndicate go, your first thought is they must have really liked that number. And then do you check it to see if your number's matched up too? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much already know what I like. And that's the reality of being in this game, this world, is – can I beat these other guys to the lines? Because a lot of us have the same ideas about different teams. We know which games that we like more than, or less than the bookmakers. Right. And so we want to try to be the first to get those games. So, for example, using a game last week, because we don't know where these things are going to close, getting the over 43 in Baltimore and the game closes at 46 you know, that's a three-point value through mm -hmm. some key numbers, right, of 44 sure. and 45. And 43 is actually a pretty key number, too. Um, that's tremendous value. So when you're able to beat the closing number, 
when you're able to beat the closing number, that's like a big feather in your cap. A lot of guys, a lot of the sharp sports uh, betting groups that I work with, they, they obviously want to win. But if you're beating the closing line and you're having some losses, they don't actually care all that much. They get frustrated that the mm-hmm. losses aren't coming in, but they know it'll even out because what they care more so about is are you getting on the right side of the number? Are you getting good value. lines? That's the value. That's because this whole proposition is about value. So then I almost think of it to, to equate it to the sneaker market. There is the resell value and then there's the initial value. And the people that get the first Kobe's or the first LeBron's or the first Jordan's that come out are people that are very well connected. They get sent them for free. Those are the syndicates. And then everybody else has to go on StockX, now working with Bleacher Report, and get the resale value. So when I see these lines move, and I just talked about how there's value there, I'm kind of going against the syndicates, but am I myself getting value? Like I have circled, and I'll, I'll talk about this later with the Super Contest, Indy at minus one and a half. Because I also saw that it was at four, so it went down to Atlanta. Like it, it's favoring Atlanta now by two and a half points. And I see a lot of holes in Atlanta. I see a lot of injuries in Atlanta. Um, is, does it now give me value the other way that the syndicates kind of gave me a team maybe that I already liked? Yeah. Okay. It, the thing is you have to realize about syndicates. Because the 33% is the resellers. So I'm right. trying to help them out on the, the second market. Right. So the issue is that um, depending on the syndicate, like we know behind the scenes who I work with, we know which guys run the different groups, right, that bet enough to move the betting market, right? They're putting enough volume in there that that's why these lines are moving. Right. And so some of those guys you respect more than others because some of them have a little bit higher success over the long haul. That's what it's all about. It's about the long haul. Short term, I mean, look, some of these betting groups go on runs or seasons where they lose in an entire sport. They come back the next year firing just as strong because they know long term they're going to win 54, 55%. And all you got to do is hit over 52.4% and you're going to win on minus 10. So that's what these guys are doing. Um, Minus 10, you know, minus 110 juice. Uh, So in some cases, yes, you will get a better number when those guys fire. Do you want to be against them frequently? Probably not a good idea. However, these guys are like 55, 57% like on good seasons. And so there's still a 45, 45% chance, 43, 45% chance that they're going to be wrong on this particular game. And gotcha. if you're getting a better number, then it's maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's not the worst thing. Trust me, when I have enough confidence in my numbers that when if I like something and they bet the wrong way, I'm actually feeling good. Mm. The worst thing is when I like something and they like it and they beat me to it. I feel bad then. I feel good if I really feel strongly and they for some reason don't, then I'm going to get a better number. Two lines moved, and for me it's all about performance-based. Cincinnati at Buffalo. Buffalo, the early line was Buffalo by four. It's now Buffalo by six. People are seemingly coming around to Buffalo now. Uh, I think that's what happens when you play the New York market twice. You get a lot of attention for Josh Allen. Uh, So a lot of the value, if you like the Bills, which I did a lot, goes from four to six. And the other one is the Chargers were five-and-a-half-point favorites hosting Houston, and now they're just three-point favorites. And that one's really juicy to me. Because if you're going to be disappointed that the Chargers lost to the Lions, they had the reverse of having two pick sixes. You know, they had the, the touchdowns taken away from them. And to me, 
that's like one of those box scores that I'm actually talking myself into it right now where I don't think people actually watch that game. They just saw Phillip Rivers throw an interception at the end of the game and go, oh, wow, they're actually not that good. And I go, you guys just saw Houston score 13 against Jacksonville. So I'm convincing myself. But to me, it looks like Buffalo lost a lot of value, and I'm seeing a lot of value gained right now for the Chargers. Well, absolutely, Buffalo. I mean, look, you, I've been on the Bills the last two weeks. Big time. Big time. Loved them in those spots. Um, and I, the, one of the reasons why I stuck with them the second week against the Giants was because everybody looked at the way that that score was playing out. They just see the score updates. Not that many. They were people. down fifteen nothing. They got lucky to come back and win that one. Exactly. Not many people are actually watching the game, seeing all the interceptions. So when you dig into all that stuff when you're watching the game, um, you're like, man, well, maybe we're going to get some good value next week. And sure enough, we did get some good mm. value that next week. But we're not getting that good value this week against Cincinnati. So you have to know when to you know steer clear of something get off of something it doesn't mean I mean look you could even like the Bengals this week because we're betting numbers and we're betting situations we're not betting teams like I could I could talk so much when you hear people say if you like a team to win you should bet them to cover you go that's crazy that's that's yeah no no. I've heard that my entire life Warren no that's absolutely not the way I mean look uh, in certain situations, there's a high correlation between the, the times that this team's going to win and actually cover the spread. Right. But you have to look at the, the points and the value that you're getting in these situations. And I mean, look, I've been one of the biggest critics of Matt Patricia, right? And I was on, you know, I, I, the, the Lions that week. I was in a teaser. I took the Lions as part of a <laughs> teaser last week. So I was happy that they ended up winning that yes. game. Um, but, you know, just because I don't like Matt Patricia doesn't mean that there's not value taking mm. seven points with them when they're in Philadelphia. I mean, there's situations where I like a team, I have feelings about a team, and I'll still uh, bet against teams that I like, and I'll bet on teams that I don't like based upon the line and the value that I see inherent in that number. Um, and then the next week, I might be completely on the opposite side. Mm. Okay. Uh you ready to talk about the three biggest games of the day? Yeah. Let's start off with the big one. Ravens at Chiefs. Uh, this is uh, the game of the day. Two 2-0 teams. Uh, the two, two of the four leading candidates for MVP as we're two games through. Uh, both quarterbacks have two of the top three quarterback ratings. They also both have two uh, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. Lamar Jackson just ran for 120 yards. Uh, Patrick Mahomes almost threw for 300 yards in the second quarter alone. It is a 1 o'clock game. Um, according to Ingbert's notes here, the Ravens are 5-1 and one against the spread in their last six road games. Uh, injury-wise, it looks like Eric Fisher is not going to play. Uh, Cameron Irving is going to play in there instead of him. Also, uh, Jimmy Smith is likely out, which you've talked about the splits before in terms of people that did not practice. Kansas City's running backs are banged up. LaShawn McCoy with an ankle, Damian Williams with a knee for the Ravens. um, Mark Andrews is not practicing, but this is a note. He did not practice on Friday, and he did play against Arizona. The only other did not practice that's interesting to me is the fullback, Patrick Ricard. He also plays defensive tackle, and for a team that uses a lot of the fullback, that's something to note. Um, do, do you know what? Do you remember what the Jimmy Smith splits are for the Ravens defense offhand by any chance? Um, I could look them up. Or I do don't you remember ha- them just being drastic. Oh, it's it's it was night and day different. It was it was we one saw of it the last week most dark in the league. Yes. So my first question is this: to go back to what we learned from Baltimore, Arizona, 
Baltimore has a problem with three wide, three wide receivers. They're playing Patrick Mahomes and that team. And they have running back issues. What are we about to see from that, uh, that, that sort of personnel meeting? Okay, and by the way, last season, just looked them up here because I searched through my tweets. I tweeted this out. Uh, with Jimmy Smith, they were number four defending passes in success rate, number one in interception rate, and number one in passer rating. Without Jimmy Smith, number 29 in success rate, which dropped from number four, number 31 in interception rate, wow. which dropped from number one, and number 18 in passer rating, which dropped from number one. Now, that was... Uh, the, the two prior years, they did a little bit better in the couple games they missed him last year, but that was a very small sample size. Mm. So, um, yeah, not, not great, obviously. Um, but the interesting thing about what you just were talking about, which with those three wide receiver sets, and this is what I was hinting at earlier when we were talking about personnel groupings. Nobody, I think, is talking about this. It's something I talked about a lot last year was how much the Chiefs used 12 personnel, right? They used a lot of 12 personnel last year, okay? However, because it was Damian Harris and Travis Kelsey and this year. No, this year. They're not using nearly as much 12. They're using a lot more 11. Well, Damian Harris went to the Browns. So listen to these splits. Interesting. Last year, they passed the ball from 11, only 63% of the time and 28% of the time from 12, 28%, one of the highest rates in the league. That's right. really high from 12 this season. 63% from 11 has gone up to 85% wow. from 11 and 28% from 12 has dropped down to 9%. Wow. Those are major personnel shifts and they don't even have Tyreek Hill. This is even without Tyreek Hill, they're still using a lot more 11. What is, what do the Patriot, uh, what do the Ravens struggle to defend? Wow. The pa the Ravens struggle to defend. You're hurting my heart. 12 big Ravens guy. I mean, 11 personnel. They are really good defending 12. Chiefs are going to use more 11 here probably. Now, that game against Oakland was weird last week, right? Because they got shut out the first quarter, shut out the third and fourth quarter. What are the Chiefs going to look like over the course of the entire game? Andy Reid is so good this month. The first month of the season in September, I think he's like perfect against the spread, perfect win-loss record wow. the last several years. So he's really good this time of year where he's focused when he, he knows what he's got out of his team. I'm not saying I like the Chiefs to cover the right, spread. Right, 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 right. I'm just sharing points of observation that a lot of people, at least people who have followed me, know that I have been talking a lot about the Chiefs use a lot of 12 personnel. But I need to note to the 33% yeah. that that has changed this season. What about the fact, because you tweeted this earlier this week, that Patrick Mahomes' success in the red zone is so starkly worse in the first two games this year than it was last year. And the fact that I just watched Baltimore allow big plays to Arizona and then stop them, as we complained about last week, three times inside the five. Also, I went and looked while you were talking earlier. When Kansas City played Baltimore last year, all of Kansas City's big plays were between the 20s. None of them scored. So at Baltimore, it's a bend but don't break. Biggest play of the game last year, 48-yard pass to, to Tyreek Hill, got down to the 12. Uh, the other, a few other plays, they got to the 43 or to the 24. These were not plays that scored. And so my question is, is if Kansas City is able to have some success, is Patrick Mahomes' lack of success in the red zone, could it still keep it close? Like, what are you seeing in that part of the field? 
Yeah, it definitely could. Patrick Mahomes uh, is a freak. But what I've seen the first couple of weeks from Patrick Mahomes is these ridiculous passes against pressure in some cases, thrown across his body that have been big plays for the Chiefs. But in the red zone, they have struggled, and that's explained some of their like lack of consistency. It's it's a small, super small sample size, and the Jaguars have a good defense. Yeah. But only 23% of his red zone passes graded as successful so far this year. That's shocking. That's 27th in the league. He was a 52% last year, almost twice as successful when wow. he passed in the red zone. That was number one in the league last year. So number one down to number 27. Um, they were the number one red zone offense in terms of conversion rate, touch, scoring touchdowns last year. This year, I mean, it's a small sample size yeah. again, but 27th. So it's something to consider. Um, are the play calls different? We talked about last night about the lack of that power run game. Yes, especially the ability to... if LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams are banged up. Your next running back is Darwin Thompson, who's a scat back. So if they're not able to pound the rock inside the 20s against a Baltimore Ravens team, you might be able to move. Like, we might be getting a lot of yards here. It, just, it might be a lot of Harrison Bucker and not a lot of hands up in the air for the Chiefs. Yeah, and that's exactly right. One of the things that we know across the board is that running in the red zone is the most efficient types of plays that you can call down there. It's rushing the football down there, especially when you do it from spread formations, right? Don't use the don't use the Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> jumbo personnel groupings, right. pack everybody in, dictate to the defense, hey, these guys might run, let's bring on our jumbo, and then actually run the football out of that, right? You want to pass out of heavy sets down in the red zone. You want to run out of spread sets. Running is more efficient than passing down there. That's one of the few times mm. we talk about that and 33% should know passing is far more efficient across the board. But when you get down into the red zone, that's one of the times when I like running, I like running in short yardage and red zone. Yeah, Warren likes running on third and short fourth and short and in the red zone, especially if you're sneaking on those third and fourth short. Uh, you short love places. a good quarterback sneak. Oh, okay. I, 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 it's just, it's music to my eyes when I'm seeing it there. I'm like, <laughs> okay, these guys understand. And I hate that's it. How I like, like music in my eyes. There you go. Just blast it all over you. But the thing that I get frustrated with when I see teams, okay, they work so hard to get those nine yards. They're set up with third and one or fourth and one. And then they're that close to like the first down marker, right? And you got a quarterback and you got an offensive line and all you got to do either bull rush forward or jump and hold the ball out, something like that. Instead, what do the coaches call Let's line up in shotgun. Oh my God. Five yards back, four yards back. Then let's turn and hand the ball off to a running back, maybe, who's even further behind us. Mm. Or we'll throw the ball. Those are the types of plays that you can call on a fourth and five, a fourth and six. But you earn those first nine yards to get there. Yes. Take advantage of that and call a play that's very successful for the 33%. 85% success rate when a quarterback runs the football on a third and one or fourth and one. Wow. Since 2015, 63% success rate if he takes the snap and hands it back to his running back, who's a few yards behind him to try to get that first down. That's over a 20% decrease in success converting that uh, down a distance that there's no excuse for. So when you're watching a game on Sunday and it's third and one and they decide to do a draw or a pitch or God forbid a throw, just know that your coach is going against 85% and 85% 
success rate if he just falls forward. It doesn't even matter. I mean, you can do it twice. And you can do it twice. The, all the Eagles did it twice on uh, on yeah. Sunday night. But it doesn't even matter who your running back is. Like it's not just the great running quarterbacks that have high conversion rates. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, like. Little guys, big guys, what have you, good conversion rates. My three least favorite things right now in the NFL, uh, going in shotgun in third and short or fourth and short, trying to block uh, a great pass rusher with a tight end, uh, Jimmy Graham on Daniil Hunter, and um, whoever Denver tried to put on Khalil Mack sticks out to me. And number three is all-out blitzing on fourth down. Like... Yeah, let, let's give, let's, um, this is very, you talk about the Eagles here. Let's give Matt Ryan one-on-ones in a game-winning situation. Let's not make him read the field and take an extra second to figure out what defense we're playing. No, let's blitz and let him go. I get to lob it up and take all the pressure off of me. My three least favorite things right now in the sport. Baltimore's offense against Kansas City. What do you see on that side of the field? Well, I see a Kansas City team that's played okay defensively so far, and they have added pieces this year. Um, but if I'm if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, right, and we know that they said after week one against the Dolphins that they didn't even show hardly any of their playbook in this game because uh, they didn't need to. And week two, they played the Arizona Cardinals, right? And I know they, they – like I was surprised he didn't score more than 23 points at home. Obviously, they only went one for four inside the red zone. A lot of uh, running the football from Lamar Jackson in that game. I think they got some interesting things for this game because if you think about the magnitude of this game – we're talking about three games today. But this particular game could be for the team that is going to be hosting – you know, yes. that's going to be that number two seed, gets yes. that buy in the – AFC for the playoffs because New England looks like they're that number one seed right now. If the Ravens can go in there and pull off this upset and claim home field advantage, they got a head-to-head victory over yes. the over the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. They're now three and zero on the season, and that's going to be very valuable when it comes down to who's going to get that number that number two seed in the first round by in the postseason. And also, we can we can wax poetic about Andy Reid. I believe Harbaugh's right up there with him. Now, I think Andy Reid is a very special coach, but in big games like this, I would take John Harbaugh all the time. You know what else I also want to say really quick? Tyreek Hill in that game against the Ravens last year where the Chiefs pulled it out, eight catches, 138 yards, 139 yards, 17.4. Not having Tyreek Hill out there, I think, is a massive, massive loss for that team in a matchup of this kind of magnitude. Four o'clock game, Saints at Seahawks. We'll start off with the Saints have the ball against the Seahawks. Things that kind of stuck out to me from an injury standpoint, no Drew Brees, obviously. Saints are putting their starting linebacker, Alex Anzalone, on IR, and one of their wide receivers, Keith Kirkwood, Traquan Smith, did not practice. Kirkwood on IR. Traquan Smith didn't practice with a knee. Who is the second? Who is a third wide receiver right now behind Ted Ginn? I don't even know. Sheldon Rankins, Andrews, Pete, uh, limited practice. For Seattle, the four guys that did not practice, Ethan Pochick, Nico Thorpe, their corner, Tedrick Thompson, their safety, and DJ Fluker, all expected to play. And Puna Ford and Ezekiel Ansa are expected to play. This will be the first game for Ezekiel Ansah. Puna Ford had a great week one, missed week two. Apparently, Pete Carroll said he's coming up to – Puna Ford's coming up to Pete Carroll and going, I'm playing on Sunday. So uh, New Orleans had the ball. We expect Sean Payton to take a lot of shots here. How do these two teams match up when the Saints have the ball taking on uh, the Seahawks in Seattle at 4 o'clock? 
Okay, so one of the things that um, is a little bit frustrating, it was more so frustrating last season, but is carrying forward to this year is some of the play calling uh, in Seattle and their emphasis on the run game. But one of the other things that I've noted is their efficiency uh, and lack of a start in games, especially in that first quarter. Okay. So if we look at what Seattle has done in the first quarter of games, their success rate is one of the worst in the NFL. In fact, it is tied for the worst with Tampa Bay. They have a 29% success rate in the first quarter. That's terrible, right? (laughs) The league average is 48%. Success rate, they're at 29%, almost 20% worse. We're expecting a slow start out of Seattle is what you're saying. I expect Seattle to start off slow. Their game scripts have not been very good. Um, They end up having like a pretty even run-pass split, but they have a 30% success rate when they run the football. They run the football too often on early downs, try to establish the run, try to build off this mindset of what we're going to do here (laughs) offensively, which you've got Russell Wilson. I, I totally don't love that type of logic right um and and their passing has not been ideal either only 5.3 yards per attempt however after that they're much better they're in like the 47 percent on average success rate over the course of the game one of the things about the new orleans Saints is going to be interesting to see how they do here but they actually start out the game fairly well and they're really good in the second quarter in terms of their mm. success rate sean payton makes some good adjustments after what he sees on that first drive or two makes some good adjustments in that second quarter their second quarter Quarter success rate is one of the best in the NFL. Wow. So what I'm interested in seeing here is we talked about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Yes. And we talked about how we don't have a lot of confidence in Teddy, but we think this is a big game for him. Right. But we also talked about how we think that that offense is and Sean Payton are going to utilize some more trick plays, a little bit more Taysom Hill. Yes. There's nothing to lose here. And If you think about it, when, just like you're watching games, when is it most likely that trick plays are going to occur? Coaches typically aren't saving these things deep in their bag of tricks to the fourth quarter, unless it's a team like the New England Patriots who sees something and is like, oh, let's add this. But even then, Patriots, that throw from Edelman back to James White, first or second quarter. Kyle Shanahan, all of his trick plays against the Cincinnati Bengals, first and second quarter. You hit them early because they haven't seen it all week. And you punch them right in the mouth, and then the rest of the game, they're going, what's about to happen to us? Exactly. And because what are those teams doing? Those teams, the defense is preparing all week for what you do. This is what to expect when they're lined up like this. This is what to expect. That stuff is fresh in their mind at the beginning of games. And so they're going to play the tendencies. The defense is going to play the tendencies more often in the beginning of games. So I expect if we're going to see some trick plays out of Sean Payton, it's going to come in that first half. And I expect Mm -hmm. if Taysom Hill is going to be passing the ball a little bit more, which the Seahawks haven't seen. Yep. It's going to be in that first half. Okay. And so Seahawks start slow. Saints start a little quicker. Guess what that line is in the first half? What do we got? Seattle minus three. I could take the Saints plus three in the first half. And one of the benefits like, is, is the ability to dip your toe in the water see what it feels like, and then not have to worry about it after that. Right. And that's one of the things, like, do I want to really be betting on Teddy Bridgewater in his first start all four quarters? My fear is that I bet on the Saints, and Teddy has to drive down the field in crunch time. 
and I know that he's really not going beyond 15 yards with any comfort. But if I can bet the first half, which is more betting on Sean Payton's brain versus the— Versus Brian Schottenheimer's brain. Versus Brian Schottenheimer, but also, but also the conservative nature of the Seahawks in the first quarter. Yeah, Pete Carroll's influence as well. Yeah, that's—so So, anyways, I think that's a pretty nice, pretty nice wager for you guys. Warren Sharp just gave you all a gift. And I'm taking the gift. I'm going to send a text message as soon as I get out of here. Um, Sunday night game. We talked about it uh, kind of earlier already. Did you have anything else on Seahawks Saints, by the way? Rams, Browns, Sunday night football. Browns coming off of a Monday night win in which uh, they didn't look good early. And then Odell had that huge play right down the seam. And they also had to play uh, Luke Falk. Uh, did not practice. It's likely that Austin Blythe, the starting guard for the Rams, and tight end Tyler Higby, who apparently was coughing up blood during the game, will likely not play on Sunday night. Uh, Cleveland, David Njoku, got a concussion and broke his wrist. He's definitely not playing. Five other guys did not practice. Linebacker Christian Kirksey. Right tackle, Chris Hubbard. Defensive tackle, Larry Ogmanjobi. And this is all Wednesday, so it's we have to observe it. And two safeties, Morgan Burnett and Dem- Demarius Randall. But Rashard Higgins and Dontrell Hilliard should come back. Other than the 11 personnel, and the how, do the Rams defend 11 personnel really well, by the way? Yes. Okay. Is there anything else? 41% success rate against 11 personnel. So the Browns are playing too much 11. The Rams defend it really well. And the Browns' offensive line stinks. Okay, good to note. Rams, by the way, Rams against 11, they've allowed a 43% success rate when you pass the ball against them from 11. Only 6.3 yards per attempt, a 66 pass rating, no touchdowns, two interceptions. <sighs> what about, I, you know, I'm curious. What is Sean McVay's personnel like? Because he was so heavy with 11 last year, right? What has he been like so far this season? Because so, Sean McVay's a guy that I'm, I'm I, he's a genius, so I want to know what he's doing. 82% 11 personnel this year, so super high rates again. And Does then he you run out of 11 a lot, though? They're pretty balanced, a 55% pass, 45% run. And, uh, but you talk about Tyler Higby, that's one of their tight ends. They don't like using two tight ends, anyways. Doesn't matter. So you're going to be down him, possibly. What are we going to get? Probably more. 11 personnel than we expected. So we've got two offenses that are going to utilize a lot of 11 personnel here. But am I crazy? Did, did Cleveland, when they were playing Tennessee, did they let up their big plays in big packages or 11? Big packages? Big packages. It was, it was a lot of the, and that's one of the reasons why on this very show we talked, I believe we talked about it, against the Jets. The Jets use a lot of 11 personnel. Mm, Adam Gase, big obsessed principal, with obsessed with 11 personnel. So I said, even if they had their starting quarterback in there, right? Even if Darnold was there, this is still a not very advantageous matchup for the Jets because the Browns were good against the Titans from 11, where the Titans were getting gashed a little bit was, I'm sorry, where the Browns defense was getting gashed a little bit was from some of that bigger sets. The plays that look like run out of 12, but they're actually passing the ball and the Jets weren't able to do any of that. The Jets got pasted on Monday Night Football. Now you've got the Rams who don't utilize a lot of those heavier sets, use a lot of 11. So we got two teams that have had decent success defending 11 personnel going up against one another and two teams Teams that, quite honestly, I I think across the board, this isn't just my opinion. If you ask anybody, had the Rams has the Rams offense looked as good as it did last year? No. 
Has the Browns offense looked as good as what you expected coming in from last year? That's an obvious no. Two obvious no's where the offenses aren't looking as good as they did last year. Jared Goff playing on the road. Historically where he's got awful. Very bad home road splits. That's yes. why I expected better from him last week at home. And he had pretty good moments. He had the, the big pass to Cooks at the beginning. Other than for. that, it was a little quiet in the first half. a lot of Cooper Cup doing it himself. Cooper Cup was getting open in the secondary. My big take has been... We're going to get done Sunday at 1 o'clock, and we're going to watch the 10th pick in the draft, Patrick Mahomes, and the 32nd pick in the draft, Lamar Jackson, and go, wow, that's the future of the league. And then after Sunday night, we're going to look at the number one pick in the draft, Jared Goff, and the number one pick in the draft, Baker Mayfield, and go, that was supposed to be the future of the league? I look at everything you're telling me right now, and I look at the Rams and the mystique around them and the Browns and the mystique around them, and I look at currently on Thursday – a line of 49, and I go, pound it. It, it. The Rams have now huge holes on their offensive line, and Miles Garrett can do anything he wants. The Cleveland Browns have huge holes on their offensive line, and Aaron Donald can do anything he wants. And both Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield are abysmal under pressure. Yeah, we talked about Baker under pressure. Terrible. Jared Goff the same Equally way. Under, yeah. Yeah. We're giving out gold right now. We've never given out this much stuff before. I th- I look, it has to <laughs> it has to win, right? It of has course, to win. Of course. But the thought process, the logic is sound and let's see where these lines move by the time we get to Sunday. Mm. Because I think we're going to have some some examples where these lines are going to go the way we're suggesting that they go. Okay, so I'm going to kind of go over some of my super contest picks with you. We're going to call crack. Is there any other thing you want to get off your chest? No, this is therapeutic for you. No, we covered it. Um, I was really impressed. The one other thing that I think a lot of people don't know about week one, uh, sorry, week two and, and the start of the season in general is how efficient, and we were talking about this last night, how efficient the New York Giants offense has oh, been please so far that. this so year. Let me just say, I would have been mad if one we forgot talking. Of, one about of it. my picks for the super contest, I'll start with that, is the New York Giants plus six and a half at Tampa Bay. I went into this yesterday. It was a line that was at four. It then went to six and a half. And my first reaction was, you're telling me that Eli is worth two and a half points more than Daniel Jones. I think you're crazy. The Giants in week one moved the ball against the Dallas Cowboys, except Dallas scored five touchdowns and five straight possessions. And it was just tight end, tight end, tight end, tight end, tight end. And guess what? Tampa Bay has not done at all feature their tight end. So we'll see what happens with OJ Howard. But the other thing is, is that when you said how efficient the giants have been, it's crazy. Well, what what do you got? And you could find this on sharpfootballstats.com. Yeah, that's, it's not on sharpfootballanalysis.com. This is sharp football stats, which is like a free to use visualized data website. Everybody can do tons of research there. The New York giants, this so far this season, the number one most successful rushing offense in the NFL. They're posting wow. a 62% rushing success rate. The league average is 49%. They're at 62%. They're averaging 7.6 yards a carry. It's small sample size. Yeah. But that's what we keep trying to knock into people's heads. If you dismiss everything saying it's a small sample size, I got news for you. By the time you get to week 15... Overall being considered, it's still small sample size. There's only 16 games. So you better start figuring out how to utilize the data, even though you've got a small sample size. 
uh, 62% success rate when they run the football, 51% success rate when they pass. That's still 10th best in the league. Overall, this is a top 10 offense in terms of efficiency. The New York Giants. The New York Giants. With Eli. With Eli. Everybody thinks that, okay, this is going to be a downgrade because we're bringing in Daniel Jones because he hasn't played. And so many people talk trash about Daniel Jones heading into the draft and that whole process. Yeah. And the reality is this Giants offense has been pretty good. It's only going to get better with a, with a quarterback that can actually run. Now you're playing run. a guy like Jameis Winston. That offense doesn't seem to be in total sync. Yes. Look at how bad Cam Newton played in that game on Thursday night. And this team almost was able to win that game. Yes. Like as bad as like he was playing, clearly not healthy. Um, you don't have all these weapons out there. I, I, I think it's really going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to watching that Giants game. So one of mine is going to be Giants plus six and a half. Sounds like you're in agreement. Another one I'm going to do is because the line went from four to one and a half. So I'm going to do what I learned from last week. I'm going to take the Colts one and a half at home. Um, I, I, I'm going to watch the injury report. If Marlon Mack is not healthy to go, I'm probably going to get too afraid of that because Wilkins had a nice big run last week, but I'm a little bit concerned, but from what I saw from Atlanta and their injuries with Caleb McGarry, and also I know Matt Ryan's good in domes, but he's not that great on the road. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of liking that. Uh, Baltimore, I'm going to go with Baltimore. Plus six and a half at Kansas City. I think that, that to me, the line should be a four, where I think it started with a lot of people. Six and a half, I would have loved it at a seven. If it, if it In real life, if it can get to a seven, Dear God, please. Six and a half, though, I have to take it. I'm going to take Detroit plus six at Philadelphia. Uh, Matt Stafford, uh, since he's been on the Lions, the Lions are 3-0 and against the spread in Philly. The home field advantage, Philly 3-6 and against the spread in their last nine home games. And also, as an Eagles fan, I know this, and then the stats backed it up. 0-5 against the spread in their last five September games. The Eagles have started slow the last few years, and then Doug Peterson, just like he does every season, goes, what the hell are we doing? Let me fix, figure this out. And then they start hitting their, their stride, all the injuries. Everyone chronically hates Matt Stafford. So I'm going to use their chronic hate against them. Uh, and I think that they're, they're just really banged up. So I'm going those f- uh, four then I was stuck. Do I go Jets plus two and two and a half? I don't know. I like Buffalo a lot, but the six is too much. After talking to you, I'm go- I think I'm going to go Chargers minus three against Houston. Uh, I don't feel great about this game because I know that Houston can put up points. But what I'm betting against is I, it was a five and a half point line. I believe the Chargers thoroughly outplay the Detroit Lions, but I do not believe the box score represents that. I believe that the Texans did not outplay the Jaguars, even though they got that win. And the only touchdown they got was because they forced a fumble on Gardner Minshew inside the 10 and then punched it in. I, I know that the Chargers defense has not been great from an efficiency standpoint, but the Chargers are coming off a loss where they're ready to take everybody's head off, and the Texans, in my mind, are coming off of a win that they might feel a little bit confident about, and they should not. So this is a little bit of Lefko playing inside the mines, and I want a desperate Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers desperate with Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson and Keenan Allen. I'm just, I'm going. How do we feel about those? Um, I'm taking a lot well, of points this week. Y- you are. Um, if if I just can add something that we didn't, a game we didn't talk about because yes. we touched on some of these, but the game that you're looking at with the Chargers and the Texans, 
One of the interesting things there is you talk about a quarterback who could be under a little bit of pressure. You know, Deshaun Watson, he got banged around a little bit week one against the New Orleans Saints. Um, he's a stud, so he powered through it. Yeah. But um, it's very interesting to watch the and think about the ends in, San, in, in L.A., the Chargers coming in, applying that edge pressure, trying to keep him inside the pocket a little bit more, yes. collapse that pocket down on a somewhat weak offensive line of the Houston Texans playing on the road. Fucking, That's of interest. I feel fucking good. By the way, I am six and four, uh, two, three and two weeks, which uh, not where I want to be. I wish I was more in the eight and two range, but I'll take six and four. You, you need to take it because uh, it's a contest. You've got the opportunity to get hot, yes. but you can't. And I've been on the good side for most of them. You can't like, play my, yourself out of it early, and you're not doing that. I was joking with Ingber beforehand that we always like to find excuses in the games we lost, and we we never look at the games we won. We go, oh, no, I had that the entire time. Uh, so let's let's give Crack a call. Bill Krakenberger. I uh, want to say this uh, also before he comes on. Uh, Download the Crack Wins app. You'll get the Crack Men's weekly picks along with great betting tips and insider content. And of course, Warren Sharp, Sharp, uh, Sharp Analysis, SharpFootballAnalysis.com. To be honest, I'm subscribed and I've been enjoying not just the, the betting, but also the fantasy. It's helped me out a lot in DFS. But that noise is Bill Krakenberger, the Crack Man. How you feeling, buddy? Hey, how you guys doing? All right. How'd the radio show go? Good. You know, I just had a good, uh, just had a good show, and uh, we talked about all different subjects today. Talked about going to dinner with Bob Arum and him ordering liver and onions and smelling my whole table up. Ew, Bob Arum, the boxing promoter that's famous. He ordered yes. liver and onions. <laughs> yes, we went to Piero's, which is a big, famous restaurant out here, and I, I was just making fun of him. But I mean, you know, listen, I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying, yeah. he liver and onions. We're at Italian restaurants. That sounds exactly up. what like an old school boxing guy would order, though. I like liver and onions. It toughens up my insides to get ready for the world. Yeah, I like that. Right. Liver and onions reminds me. I think it was like Doug Funny or Rocco's Modern Life. One of those cartoons. Like the worst thing you get, Rugrats. Like liver and onions. <laughs> uh, crack. You ready for my That's picks? Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, I, uh, I have a little opinions on my own this week, so yeah. Sure, Perfect. Perfect. Uh, I'm taking a lot of points this week. Um, my five, Detroit plus six at Philly. Start out right with that. Uh, public team, the Eagles, I, I actually expected Philadelphia to take more money here, and looks like it opened up seven and a half, went down to six, six here in Nevada now at a lot of books. Yeah, I'm not uh, excited I'm about surprised. I'm not excited about losing the number. I thought I was going to get it at seven, but I'm still going to take it at six. I'm taking Baltimore plus six and a half at Kansas City. Crack, what do you think? That's uh, Kansas City's home opener. Place is going to be crazy. I mean, you have two MVP candidates there with uh, the both quarterbacks, a quarterback of each team. Uh, I, I, that's that's that, that's going to be a tough place. To, I know it's a lot. It's a lot of points. I'm probably going to use it on my card also. Uh, on the on the Westgate contest, is it six and a half? It is six and a half. Yeah, because there's sixes now. The sharper sports books offshore are six dog money, which means you have to lay you know a dollar fifty on the dog at some of the sharper spots that I respect. Um, oh, it scares the so hell out I of me. I have no problem with that. I'm just afraid that. You know, the Mahomes goes home, and it's gonna, the, the, the crowd's going to be crazy there. So we'll see what happens, though. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm a biased Baltimore supporter and uh, six and a half with that team against anyone until I get proven wrong. I'm going to continue to bet them. Uh, Indy minus one and a half hosting Atlanta. The number went from four to one and a half. And I think that's too much of a movement. Yeah, they're both uh, both dome teams there. Um, I, I would have to, uh, you know, we were high on Warren. I'll tell you this. He was pretty high on Indy before the quarterback situation there. And I'm still rooting for them. We need them. I need them to win some games here. I need them to. <laughs> oh, for the uh, season-long bets. Total. Uh, I am. I'm putting my money on Daniel Jones, and I'm going Giants plus six and a half at Tampa. Let's see what I have. That the Giants. Uh, you're you're going to go with the new quarterback, and uh, I am. You know, I don't think if you if you were to ever tell anyone that Tampa Bay would be a, a six and a half point favorite versus the Giants, I mean they would they'd be exactly. Laughing at you, so. You know, it's. Um, I'm hoping the team gets behind him, and 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 uh, I would be in agreement with that pick. Okay. Uh, the other thing, there's, crack there's on this one, crack. We've talked about this before, but teams tend to rally around that quarterback when they're replacing a, a key player like a quarterback. The whole team buys in, and this is something that Crack and I have discussed before. Buys in and steps up their game, knowing that they got to do everything in their power to help out this guy. Isn't that funny? Yep. Man. Okay. And then cool. my, la- next one. my last one, Crack, is I'm going to go Chargers minus three hosting Houston. I mean, they're, they're both off of struggling uh, yep. last, last weekend. It's, a, it's an interesting game. It really is. Um, uh, so is it minus three on the, on the, the contest? I don't have the line. So that's what three. I got. Yeah, that's what the contest yeah. was. Well, mathematically, it's a, it's a great pick. And uh, based on it being three minus three minus twenty at almost every single shop, it means the money is coming on the on the Chargers. Um, I would I would tend to agree. I hate to agree with all your picks, but I would agree with that. that one, so I like to be the contrarian side. I'm glad you stayed away from those giant those giant spreads, the Dallas and the New England oh. games. Um, the the no, true anything, thing is, crack is I've been I've been paying a lot of attention to you and Warren, and so I'm I'm trying to focus on games where I think there's value. Um, it was there was there any other ones that I missed that you have your eye on uh, that you can talk to the 33 uh, percent that they should keep an eye on. Speaking of which, um, I got three different people that said they wanted to know what the 33% was. Um, can you just just tell me? I, I know what it is. Can you just say it real yeah. quick, though, for the listeners? The, 30, the 33% is, is, is when, when I lost, uh, when Sims moved on and Fendrick moved on, and I had 33% of the podcast, and I said, let's give it to the listeners. And we've kind of rallied around that because this is not a show to make me feel good or a show uh, just so I could talk. It's a show where the, the audience is the community and that community now owns 33% of the show. Now, I own 34. I just want everyone to know that I have a 1% majority stake, but I'm giving it to 33. So, like, right now, Warren's got 33, but when you came on, right now, Craig, you have 16.5. Sure. I just so you know, okay, we're at, like, 116.5%. A lot of percentage points going sure. on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so who do you like, Craig? Like San Fran. San Fran, uh, I think San Fran goes home and, and – uh, I like to see what's going to happen to the San Fran Pittsburgh. So I, I think I'm going to, you know, these, these contests are so hard to come up with five yes. sides in the NFL every week. Oh my God. I struggle to do it myself. I'm probably going to pick San Fran there. I think San Fran goes there and Pittsburgh's in disarray. They're there. I know they're under like Warren said they, a new quarterback and right. kind of support him, but I think San Fran, I like San Fran a little bit and believe it or not, I hate to go here, but I have to. I've, for years, I've watched the Jets play New England very close to the spreads. And that they're, was they're one of mine, man. Extra, 
extra points here. And uh, the Jets have taken some money out here in Nevada today. It's 21 and a half now at the Sharper Sportsbooks. And uh, being 20, 23 up there, there is yeah. a couple books though with 23s. So I, I kind of lean towards taking points like that with, uh, with, with the Jets. And, Crack. Um, I'm probably going to use them, but I am. I am also going to use you know, a couple of your games, though, just to let you know. I am. Uh, I, I like Baltimore. I like the Chargers. Awesome, Crack. You are the man. Make sure that you guys download the Crack Wins app. He gives out some free picks. He gives some betting tips. And to be honest, he's just a good motherfucker, and I like him. Crack. Appreciate you, Thanks, brother. Guys, I really appreciate it. Guys, have a safe, good weekend. You Take too, man. Easy, you know what's funny is Crack's one of those guys that tells you to be safe, and I know that he genuinely means it. He actually cares about you. So crack is going San Francisco. And you know what? I will say this certain teams, when the quarterback comes in where it's a Daniel Jones or a Teddy, I could see the team rallying, but there's certain teams like the Steelers where it probably feels like their season's coming to an end. Well, where do, they're a little bit like shit. Well, here's the thing with the Steelers. There is a little bit of glimmer of hope. Minka Fitzpatrick. Good Why point. would a team trade for Minka Fitzpatrick if they're throwing in the towel on the season and ushering in Mason Rudolph as your quarterback? I think that move, I didn't agree with that move. I mean, this is a good time to just talk. I did not agree with that move. I thought they should have kept the defense as is. It's problematic. Let Mason Rudolph has his, have his growing pains. Hopefully take a top 10 pick and get your quarterback of the future. What they're deciding to do is... Maybe Mason's that guy, but the guy's a third-round pick. The odds that he is going to be that right. guy is is unlikely, especially if he hasn't like proven it. He hasn't already popped. If he hasn't popped, so let's you know they're going with. Let's see what Mason Rudolph does. We're going to get Ben next year. We're going to have Minka. Our right. defense is going to be better, and we're going to have Ben back. I don't know if an older Ben off of a shoulder surgery uh, or elbow surgery rather is going to be the same type of guy, but like they are still, I think bought into the fact that we're making a run. We're making a run because they probably don't have as much respect for the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. You know right? what else That's a rival. When and then the, the Bengals are terrible and the Browns not looking as good. They you know think they got a shot. Run? When's the last time the Steelers haven't gone for it? Right. That's not in their DNA. No. To pack it in. No. So I don't I don't I don't anticipate uh, the Steelers coming out here with a lack of effort. The other thing that the Steelers probably okay. are not going to do is sleepwalk. We see them go on some of these West Coast trips and just totally pack it in. They don't even show up because they're off of a couple wins, and then they have this right. terrible – Ben has a terrible performance out there. I'm not saying the Steelers are going to cover or they won't. All I'm saying is that I think they're – Still not like they're not throwing in the towel on the season just because of Ben. I want to I want to wrap it up with this. Um, is the analytics community right now? Is everybody just over the moon with what the Dolphins are doing? Because the Dolphins are doing the very smart play where they have now like five first round picks in the next two years, and the old school football community is going. This is embarrassing. You're a JV team, but is the analytics community right now like? doing the horror and lifting up people on chairs? Like, like what is it like from your perspective? Um, I'm glad that they're going all in because I want to see it happen. So many teams do the rebuild because they've gone five and, you know, they're five and 11, they're six and 10 for a couple of years. And they're like, we need to rebuild. So they do a couple of minor things and, and, and 
not anywhere close to what the Dolphins are doing. And then they go seven and nine. They go nine and seven. They make the wild card game. Maybe they win a game, but that's the ceiling. Right. We haven't seen a team like try to rebuild and then go all the way to the top. And that's what the Dolphins are doing. And the reason why I think it's a smart strategy is because look at where Patrick Mahomes was drafted, right? Like look at where Russell Wilson was drafted. Some of these quarterbacks, okay. They're, they there are misses above those guys on other quarterbacks that are higher drafted that were viewed as better prospects and teams drafted those guys and missed. The point is you want shots because even if you have a number one pick or the number three pick, that does not guarantee that you're going to hit on these guys. It's very difficult to project yes. guys out of college to have success in the NFL so and do it with any picks. type of consistency. Yeah. You want those arrows in your quiver that you can pull out. And the more arrows, the more likely you're to hit bullseyes. And that's what they need to do. And that's what they're doing. Yes. I hope it ends up paying off. At the end of the day, they're making the right moves now. What they need to do next is make the right decisions on those picks. And that's a whole different topic of the analytics community, guys that need to get involved to help them make those right picks. But they're at least acquiring the pieces for them to use to build that capital. And to all of the curmudgeon football fans that are saying, who's going to want to go to Miami? What kind of culture are you building? Hi. I rooted for the Sixers, and for four years, I heard you guys talk about no free agent's going to want to come, and our culture's going to suck. We have one of the best cultures in the NBA right now because we built it from the ground up, and we were able to secure free agents because Al Horford, I'm sorry, Ingber, decided it was better culture to play with the Philadelphia 76ers than it was for the Boston Celtics. I don't even know if that's accurate. I just kind of want to take a shot at you because I know you have to watch me back there. But the, you bring in guys and you build around them. And you start from the bottom. And it's, it's, it's just, it's very curmudgeon to say that this is going to backfire in your face. Landon Collins signed with the Washington Redskins because they offered him $84 million. He did not go because the culture was phenomenal in Washington. If you have salary cap and you have draft picks, you have ammunition. And that's all you're trying to do. Because you're not going to win the Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill and Kenny Stills and Laramie Tunsil. You're fucking not. So let's start over from the bottom. And I got news for the other teams around the NFL that are like, this is bad for the league. This is not the right way to do it. Uh, guess what? Most teams in the league are not optimizing their odds of winning themselves. So look in the mirror before you point the finger. And number two, it's their team. If they want to do this and see the repercussions from the fans and what have you, yes. that's their desire to do that. And I'm going to let them do what they think is in their best interest yes. to achieve their goal, which is not to uh, have a 9-7 and seven team anymore. It's to win the Super Bowl in a few years. And so it, we'll see if it works. And the thing that's valuable for them is they have an owner that loves to take something in, an, in a system that is seemingly unchangeable and completely erase something and then build up from the ground up and then change the landscape of that system. He just did that to Hudson Yards in Manhattan. He's okay with blowing up a section of the system and then building it from the ground up and going, I have my own city within this city. I don't, that was very Colin Cowherd of me. I'm trying some shit out. Stephen it. Ross, good luck. Warren, you're the fucking man. Great having you in the city. Uh, uh, Ingbert, thank you for all this. Nick, everybody in the back. I don't even know if Nick's back there. Probably Matt. Great shit. To the 33%, good luck with your bets. If you don't have the money, don't make the fucking bets. Play along with mine and ride that wave, okay? Let's be smart. Love you guys. Holler at you later.